The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is just absolutely so wonderful meeting you and sitting here. And hopefully my audience learned so much from you. I know I did today. It is the end of September. It is Suicide Prevention Month. Um, I am honoring and I've continued to honor throughout this whole month of episodes, all that have been lost to suicide. I'm so very grateful that I'm still here. Um, sorry (laughs) that I'm still here. It's been, it's been a long road and there's lots of ups and downs in life. And I'm sorry if I'm emotional about this, but I heard a story today and it made me very sad about this, but I'm doing good. I'm still here. And if you are struggling, there's always somebody to talk to. We both openly just shared that we both struggled. It's okay to struggle. It's what you you need to know is that you matter. I say this all the time, your piece of the puzzle is needed in this world and you have to keep going. So I I honor all of those families that have lost a family member to suicide. Um, And I just, if you're listening to this and you're struggling, reach out, there is hope. You can always reach out to me. The best way to find me is on my Instagram, judging Megan. And you have to keep going because we need you in this world if you're listening. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. 
I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. So I have a couple announcements and I like saying housekeeping items. That's my new thing that I like to do because like I said, it makes me feel important and like I'm running a business meeting. Um, My first announcement is that I'm going to be posting additional content and episodes to Patreon. So the Patreon uh, site is it's a $5 membership fee. And if you are interested in listening to me, you know, do some additional content, some additional websites every month or websites, some additional episodes every month, head over to Patreon, Patreon forward slash judging Megan, and you can join. Um, my husband is going to be reoccurring on this. We've decided, and a lot of it is going to be about more, it's going to be lighter and I hope funny. And we'll be talking about our marriage and, you know, our 20 plus year relationship. We met very young I'm only 26. I want my guests to know that. Just kidding. Um, and second thing, join join me on YouTube. Um, you can see me in all my glory. I now am up to like, I don't even know how many subscribers. It's embarrassing. But if you listen every week, I know that you do. Please just go over and subscribe. Uh, subscribe and like me on Apple Podcasts. And I think that's all my housekeeping notes. Um, I did last week talk about my accident when I got all hot and bothered talking about running into that orange um, concrete pole because of that woman that was so selfish. I already told you that story. But what I will tell you is my car is finally coming out of the shop. I've been driving this rental car. It is so confusing to me. This sounds like so obnoxious, like rich lady problems. But whenever I have to get a rental car, I might bring my guests in on this one. I don't understand how to drive. Like I've talked openly before about my lack of skills driving. I'm just not a good driver. I drive like a grandma. Um, I get so confused with rental cars. Like you're so accustomed and used to driving a certain kind of car. And then all the knobs and the things are in different places. It is so confusing to me. And I'm so scared. Like the other day I was driving this rental car and I accidentally put the car into neutral when I was driving up a hill. So that's just Ooh. me not being that smart. I don't know. Uh, my guest today, Del A.D. Jones, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, before I introduce you with all of your titles, are, have, are you the same way about rental cars or are you a good driver? You know, I, I was laughing when you were saying that because I, I'm originally from the, U, the UK and I used to go backwards and forwards so often. I was always having to drive rental cars and drive on the other side of the road. So I actually really, <laughs> I'm really good at it. <laughs> so it doesn't confuse me. Oh, so you're, you obviously are, but that is so interesting. How, okay. If you were used to driving on a certain side of, I would be hitting cars all the time. Like (laughs) I'm known for actually going down the wrong side of the street, not because there's, I'm on any substance. I'm just a moron. Like there's a one way street in my town and I literally always forget it's one way. And I've caught myself a few times turning onto it 
how did how does your brain you must be a very smart lady I can obviously tell already but how do you remember how to drive on the opposite side of the street you know what somebody taught me something many years ago which is I am always in the middle of the road I'm next to the white line if I'm if I'm against the edge of the road or the hedge or 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 the pavement we, what we call a pavement in England, which is the side, what do you call it here? Like the sidewalk. Side. If I'm, ne- yeah. yeah, if I'm next to the side, I am on the wrong side of the road. So as the driver, I've always got to be in the middle of the road. Oh my gosh. By the way, everyone, <laughs> Del, uh, Del is, um, she is a, this whole podcast today is about driving on the wrong side of the road. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> totally joking. Um, Del is a, Codependence, codependency and narcissistic abuse recovery coach. Yes. That is so right. interesting. I've had some very interesting titles in the past few episodes. I always say that I kind of go through, like, especially with the podcast, it's I kind of find that I'm like, go through different periods. Like Picasso has his blue period. I'm going through like a period of really interesting women coming on my podcast where they talk about all kinds of really interesting topics and have titles that I've never heard of in my life. But it's like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to that person. That's exactly what I'm, what I think people need to hear today. So tell me a little bit about what you do exactly. Well, um, it's pretty self-explanatory <laughs> in the title. Um, there are people that, that suffer from codependency and they tend to find themselves getting into narcissistic relationships. Mm-hmm. So I help, and often they, people are unaware of their own narcissistic, ten, I mean, sorry, codependent tendencies. And they'll, they'll just be like, God, it's just so bad luck. You know, I keep meeting these narcissistic men. And what I help people do is find out what it is that they're sort of like sort of um, putting out there innocently, but they're putting something out there that has narcissists attracted to them. So I help them understand rather than try and change their mate and change, you know, change a narcissist, which if you know anything about narcissism, it's extremely hard to do. Mm -hmm. But what we can do is we can change how we feel about ourselves and how we show up in the world. And by doing that, narcissists tend to be like, oh, uh, no, you're too much trouble. I'm, I'm going to go for the easy prey, the low-hanging fruit. So, so that's what I help is I help people identify what they're innocently um, putting out there into the world, as they say, and taking the focus less on trying to change their partner, but helping them see how they can um, see themselves differently and show up differently in the world, more empowered. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. So Dr. Nadine Macaluso, who I kind of Mm -hmm. talked to before, so she has written a book about the trauma bond and, you know, was in a narcissistic relationship with her ex-husband, who was the wolf of Wall Street, Um, total narcissist. I've had numerous women, like more than I can count, come on this podcast that have found themselves drawn into these relationships. Um, Do you find that this stems from childhood a lot of times with girls or women that find themselves getting into these relationships. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, for me, I would say um, 
Well, first of all, both men and women can get can become codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more women. I think that's cultural. I think we're mm-hmm. raised to sort of, you know, and I'll talk about a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, but out of the women I work with, I would say most of them have developed their codependent traits early, very early on in childhood. And, but occasionally somebody might be actually going through a really vulnerable time in their life. Like I have one client that lost her mother at a very early age and she was so traumatized that by that she was vulnerable and this narcissistic type sort of just swooped in and rescued her during this vulnerable period. Mm-hmm. Whereas her childhood wasn't traumatic. It was just, she was going through a vulnerable time, but I would say 95% of the time it's related to childhood for sure. Well, I also I also ask that because correct me if I'm wrong, but the it's very rare that women are narcissists. I've been told that it's more they can be sociopaths, and I would I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. Um, I definitely it was it used to be pretty much like most women were codependents and most of the men were narcissists. Mm-hmm. I think we're living in an ever increasingly narcissistic culture. And I do think yeah. that there are narcissistic women out there. Um, I think for sure with the whole sort of social media and TikTok and, mm-hmm. and, and, and just even in the, um, you know, in, in, I, I say Hollywood, but in, I mean, obviously there's, 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 but just the film industry in general, um, I think you can, I've, I used to work in the film industry. I used to be a costume designer many years ago and I've met my fair share of. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about your story. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, but I definitely met quite a few narcissistic actresses along the way as well. Yes. And I agree. I mean, I've been in, in a relationship with, um, a good friend who was 100%, like if you go down the checklist of a sociopath mm-hmm. and a narcissist, um, 100% a narcissist. Um, but I was curious because I was, I have been, I think it was a guest recently that was talking about the differences between the two and that usually mm-hmm. men fall into that category, category of narcissism and women more, much more likely fall into the category of sociopaths. So I was just curious about that. Um, Let me ask you, I would love to hear your story. So I want to, I want to find out. I love, I have a lot, I've been having a lot of guests um, come on lately from England. I wonder if that's me, like the universe telling me that I'm supposed to be going to England because I've never been, I've always wanted to go. So I just need it. (laughs) Maybe. So tell me about your upbringing. Yeah, uh, I'm from the UK, and I, I often I say that I grew up in a um, very idyllic, um, puritanical uh, part of of the UK called North Wales. It was a very sort of Bible thumping, uh, chapel going community, and um, I was born in 1959. So it was definitely it wasn't the sort of late 60s, 70s yet, but my mother was not your typical 50s housewife, and I was actually the product of an affair she was having with my father. She had an affair with my father for about eight years. She had three children with him. And um, so we were definitely scorned upon in the community. They were not very um, embracing of us. (laughs) And um, and but the thing is, I never met my father. He um, would 
it was, it's hard to explain logistically, but we had a little Welsh cottage that we used as a bed and breakfast at the time. And um, we slept in these little what we call caravans in England, little trailers in the backyard. Um, it, was set, it was a very rural setting. And he would visit my mum once a week at night. And we were in, in bed in our own little caravans, told not good to go near their caravan. So I didn't meet him. Um, actually didn't meet him, meet him to actually exchange words with him until I was a t- a turning 30. And um, but I'll get back to that in a minute. But wow. anyway, going to school, um, it was very hard. He was, as I said, he was married. He had his he had children of his own and everybody in the little village school knew the situation. And then I learned the words bastard and illegitimate very early on, um, mostly from the school teacher, actually. And um, I've just felt very, that word illegitimate, I mean, not that I exactly knew the exact meaning of it, but I knew enough to know that it meant that I wasn't legitimate. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. I felt very shamed. I felt like I wasn't the same as other children and I didn't have the same rights as them. Um, You know, and definitely, as I say, we were picked on and bullied and, excuse me, um, so growing up, I was really an unhappy little child, I have to say. And then my mother, um, to raise money for us uh, at that time in the 60s in the in the UK, they were shutting down big mental institutions and they were paying people in the community to house mentally disabled people. If I mean, they weren't sort of severely, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, but anyway, that that's what was going on in the 60s. So my mother converted our little bed and breakfast into a home for mentally disabled people. And so that was, again, very scary. And she was worked very, very hard. And I just you know, my therapist used to say that I suffered from from um, orphan syndrome. I didn't I didn't really have parents. You know, obviously I had a mother, but she was so you know busy working and everything. I don't really remember her very much at all growing up. Um, my older sister, I felt one of my older sisters. I'm one of seven children. Uh, was more of the t- caretakers of the younger children. So that was sort of pretty it growing up and having a father that didn't acknowledge me when I would pass him in the street. He would just look the other way. It was very painful. I felt like I wasn't good enough to be loved if I was prettier, thinner, cleverer, (laughs) good enough. He'd want me. And he never did. So you grow up feeling that, you know, unlovable and um, craving male attention. I was one of those little girls that kept thinking life would be better if my father was around. So I was definitely needy for male attention, which you can imagine, if you don't have anybody protecting you, can can bring some unwanted attention. So that was going on as well. So I was pretty miserable. Yeah. Let me just ask you something. Okay, number one, and I hate to make this about appearance, but if you need to go to YouTube, everyone. Sorry to plug YouTube again. I don't know what's in the water. I know you're, you live in Malibu now. I live in the Manhattan Beach, Redondo, Hermosa Beach area. Very close. Um, Very close. We have to meet in person. Whatever you're doing, you literally look so young. It's insane. So I have to say that that's the first point. And I, and I was just shocked when you told me your age, I'm like, Oh my God. Number two, I am so I'm so sorry to hear the amount of trauma, like from a very young age, never feeling um, like you were wanted. And then 
Like, I just can't even imagine that, like that pain and not understanding it. And then not only getting it from home and not feeling accepted at home and feeling different and not having a dad, but then going off to school and being treated like you're a bastard child and teased and all of that stuff, what that must have done Mm -hmm. to you as a small child and the amount of trauma Mm -hmm. that and the wounds that you must have had to overcome to get past that and like really understand that you deserve so much more in life. And then also I wanted to ask you one other question. So you were one of seven, which, so your mom ended up having the seven kids with that man or or your father, sorry to call him that man, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Sorry to call him that man. No, not at all. Um, no, actually, she, she was she was married before she had three children with with um, with her husband um, before she um, left him and was with my father, um, and then she went on to have another child um, after that with another man. So there are you know, but we all consider ourselves my mum's children. I mean, we're all her children. Um, it, yeah, it you know it there was in. It wasn't all bad, you know, it was, it was, we grew up in the countryside, we were little vagabonds running up and down, you know, the woods and the rivers and things like that. So there were some parts that were really beautiful about it, very untraditional. Um, but again, as I said, I was definitely, um, I was really an unhappy little girl, I have to say, I was not, didn't yeah. feel safe in the home or in the community. So when I was about 19, I and again, I didn't even blame anybody else. I blame myself. I thought, what's wrong with me? I'm just, I'm not equipped for this world. Everybody else seems to, you know, know how to do it. And yeah. um, so I was contemplated leaving the planet. Um, mm-hmm. But fortunately, I didn't. And uh, again, it was actually my love for my mother, because I thought this would destroy her if I did this. So I stayed around for her. And then I was lucky enough to come to America when I was 21. And um I discovered, you know, spirituality and self-help and all of these things. And I was just like, oh, my God. I remember the first workshop I signed up for was something called Healing the Shame That Binds with John Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you're talking to me. <laughs> this is, this. I am so shame-based. And um, that was just the start of it. And thank God it really, you know, took my journey I think, as I mentioned earlier, I met my father when I was 29. I was about to turn 30. And I I just was crazy in my 20s. I was, you know, I I, I was crazy. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And um, my relationships were were unhealthy. If you if just any man out there, if I dated you and I left you, you were the good guys. <laughs> you were the good ones. I was just attracted to the bad ones. I wanted to prove myself. I needed to win a man over. Obviously, it was that sort of childhood need in me to 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 get the attention of an unavailable man. So that's FYI, I was the exact same way. And it's always shocking oh, really? to me that I didn't end up um I'm really I'm actually quite shocked. I've I had a nice, some very nice boyfriends I dated when I was young, but I did, I was so after the bad boy. I, the, yeah. the worse you were to me, the yeah. the more I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love with you. And if somebody <laughs> was nice to me that I was dating, I was like so mean to them. 
And, and I have guilt about it now. Like, I'm like, God, I was so mean to some of the guys I dated. I'm, I'm actually shocked that I didn't end up married. I I credit my husband, like, I don't know what it is, the universe, God, or whoever it was that, and don't get me wrong. We had a giant fight this morning and we hate each other after. (laughs) Um, But I'm I'm joking, but I'm not joking. Um, (laughs) How I ended up so lucky to be with somebody that like was brought into my life almost to like help me because I was just, you weren't the only hot mess in your twenties. I was (laughs) like the biggest hot mess in my twenties. I don't even know how I survived, to be honest with you. Yeah. Really don't. Um, Yeah, me too. It was, but it, but it was good in a way. Going backwards a little bit. So you, I, I'm also, you know, I've, I'm very open about struggling with my own, um, issues with being suicidal and suicidal ideations. Um, part of the reason I stayed and I got, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm still working through all of my issues. And I was diagnosed with complex PTSD a few years ago, stemming from my childhood, but I stayed for my fam, for my kids and my husband. And Mm. I'm curious about your mother. Like, it sounds like your relationship with your mother is like everything to you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it you know it's interesting. I wouldn't. It, I used to say jokingly when when well when I was in my twenties, I'd call her mother, father, God, because she was an atheist, and so in our house she was literally our father, our mother, and God. And mm-hmm. you know, I just when you grow up in a family with just a single parent. And she's the only, and the, your community is unsafe. Mm-hmm. You sort of compartmentalize. And I just made her into like, I was just, I didn't, I was the good little girl. I just, I never ruffled feathers with her. Occasionally, yeah. I remember saying once when I was little, you know, gosh, I wish I had a father. And oh, the ramifications of that were just horrendous. So I learned very, very early on not to say anything, not to upset her to just treat her like she was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and I suppressed all of my, my um, hurt and my upset feelings. And, and so I just squished all of that down. So I, I hit a pocket of anger with her when I first went into therapy. I went into therapy, like I said, when I was 29. And part of that was because um, I knew I was crazy in my 20s. And I thought, I'm not going into the next decade carrying all this with me. Mm-hmm. So I got myself in therapy and it was really, really helpful. It helped me understand why I was acting the way I was doing. Um it helped me understand my sort of blind loyalty to my mother and that I actually could allow myself to acknowledge the pain and suffering and some of my feelings. And she wasn't very happy about that, but we worked through it about a decade later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but I, but it was really for me and I, I'm, I like you, I got married when I was, you know, um, I thought I was ready to marry. I'd started therapy um, but I wasn't healthy and my marriage wasn't healthy. And um, so that lasted about 18 years. And when that came to an end, I was turning 50 and um, I came across a spiritual understanding and I'd been on a spiritual path for many years. But it really, really, um, as I say, just 
it helped me find the way out of my compulsive thinking and behavior that was that, that was um, causing me to suffer from codependency and attract these narcissistic types. Um, but but it also helped me with my relationship with my mother. Um, I I really was able to see the good that she'd done. And also acknowledge the things that she'd done that were crazy. I mean, literally crazy. I mean, as a mother myself, I look back and think, how could you have done that? But, you know, I wasn't, I didn't walk in her shoes. I think it's so interesting that you say that. Um, You know, I wanted to also ask you about your your first meeting with your father. But I wanted Mm -hmm. to, to go back a little bit. But I wanted to also say, you know, you you learn so much in therapy, depending on like what kind of therapy I've been in all different kinds. I'm sure you have as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing with our mother, so my, I lost my dad, my audience knows pretty, pretty young. I was 12 going on 13. Um, and my mom was kind of absent for that entire, almost nine months when my dad was sick in the hospital when I was 12. And she, something I learned from my mom, who's actually been on the podcast is her wounds of her own life, which are extremely deep. Mm -hmm. And, and like, when I, when I hear her story, there's a part of me that understands and is sympathetic to the fact that she is the way that she is. And a lot of the things about my mom are things that are never going to change. Like I cannot change her. She's in her seventies now. I'm in my forties. But what I've come to realize, because we had a really bad period for like a, the, I would say up until this past year, we were in like fights and fighting all the time. And I had also put my mom on a pedestal for my whole mm-hmm. life. Like since I was a little yeah. kid, I just wanted my mom's like approval. I want my mom was a beauty queen and a model. I wanted to be just like my mom. I just like I I idolized my mom. Like she was everything. And to get to a point where you realize in life, they're not everything. I mean, they're humans. And now just like you, I'm a mother myself. And I'm like every day, like, oh my God, am I going to screw my kid up? Like I just said this. Why did I just cuss in like the carpool line? Or why did I tell them the story and do this? Or why did I say that? It's like, you're constantly like questioning yourself as a mother just to do the best you can. But I know like my two, I have two daughters are going to come back to me at some point and be like, do you remember the time that you did this? This is all your fault. And it's, it's a cycle of being human, right? That there's no such thing as perfectionism. But some people, especially if you're like lacking a parent or you're like lacking whatever you're lacking in life, you tend to like glorify that, that parent and that, and everything you've said has made sense. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's, it's survival. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, when you're a child you've, and you've only got one person in the whole world you're depending on, mm-hmm. you know, certainly in my case, I was like, um, I got to keep her happy you know, because she would threaten to leave us or, leave, you know, have me move out when I was five years old if I upset her. Yeah. So, you know, things like that would, you know, just um, you just learn just to uh, uh, accommodate and adapt. And but you stuff all those feelings down. And and as I said, they came up in therapy and I realized that um, 
you know, there were things that were really crazy about my childhood and very vulnerable, raising young children in a home for mentally disabled people and not having locks on our doors or a separate living quarters. It was just uh, one flew over the cookies nest, <laughs> free for all. That is and, so um, scary. It was very scary as a yeah. child, but from my through my mother's eyes, she saw it differently. She knew, she felt that these, um, as much as they were mentally disabled, that they weren't dangerous. But, you know, if their meds were not, you know, that they needed correcting or something like that, they could yeah. act out. And as a very young child, that was was very scary for me. But she couldn't see it through my eyes. Yeah. Um, you know, this was this was our uh, livelihood, and um, she cared very deeply about our residents. Um, and often, I always felt I got the message that unless I was crazy like them, we didn't get attention from her. So I definitely sort of, like I say, in my teens and my 20s went a little crazy. So, I mean, just, you know, I wouldn't say crazy, but you know what I mean? You said you went through it too, but. You had a lot to unpack and a lot of like, I mean, yeah. it makes sense why you were going to rebel and do whatever you ended up doing. Can you tell me about the, yeah. when you ended up, I need to know, and I think my audience is probably thinking this too, when you finally met your dad, what that was like? Yeah, well, I'd actually, because I would go home to Wales every Christmas and um, my birthday's in January. So I got a, a and he's still married and I, he still has, cho- you know, his children. And I, I didn't want to, I felt really guilty growing up. I didn't want to upset the family any more than that had been upset by, you know, what my mother and her, their father had done. And so I sort of sneakily got a note to him to meet me somewhere and he didn't show up. And I was like, okay. So I borrowed my mother's car, talking about cars again. um, And I drove over to his house. I knew where he lived. And I got out of the car and I felt like, I mean, I could, that was the longest walk of my life. I felt like my knees were on the ground. I couldn't even barely get to the front door. And I knocked on the front door and um, and he answered it. And he mistook me for my sister, who, um, for some reason, and um, well, she was quite infamous, actually, in, in the UK. She was a beauty queen, so like your mother. Mm-hmm. So um, he thought I was her initially. And then I said, no, it's Del. Do you, you know, did you get my note? And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I thought it was a joke. And I was like, no, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> and then he said, well, what do you want with me? And I said, I I needed to meet you. I said, "You've I've never met you. We've never spoken. Um, but you've walked into every single relationship I've ever had. And I just I I got I had to meet you. Um, so he invited me in and he said, oh, I hear you live in America now. And I said, yes. And he said, are you an actress? And I said, no, I was too shy. I said, but I. I work on movies. I wanted you, I wanted to be, I was a costume designer. I said, I wanted you to see my name at the end of the of the film and go, oh, that's my daughter. And his response was, oh, you needn't have bothered, love. I don't watch films. <laughs> so oh, gosh. I think that, <laughs> and I, in that moment, I just realized that he just wasn't capable. He just wasn't capable. And something, and I, in the end, he said, you're going to have to leave. My wife is coming home. And so I left and I pulled into this little sort of lay-by and this blood-curdling animal scream just rose through me. I think it started in my toes. I don't even, it just was unbelievable. And I, but at the same time, I felt like I was releasing something so huge. And it was like this sort of 
festering wound was was just you know this it felt like I had a claw in a wound and it I pulled it out and it just you know released and um so that was that I did see him once after that um and I just realized that it was just going to bring up too much for for my siblings who didn't want to meet him I was the only one that had this fantasy of you know life would have been better if he'd been in our life and I also didn't want to hurt his family anymore um so I, I, I gently bowed out. So, but I, I was glad I faced, I faced it. It was definitely healing as hard as it was to do that. It was healing for me. I was able to let go and move on. Do you think, do you think that that, I cried when you told that story because it, it makes me think of like how you were so vulnerable to go there, not, not knowing like what the outcome would be you know, you hear these stories and you think there's, I mean, I believe there's happy endings in life, but when, but it's rare, especially if he was not in the picture all that time, you know what I'm saying? I just, it breaks my heart thinking of, even if you were 29, to me, that's still a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. um, going, being vulnerable, expecting something and not, and just not getting it not getting like the peace and then just to be turned away. It just, it breaks my heart. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Well, actually, to clarify, he didn't really turn me away. He actually, he, I think he would have continued to have a relationship with me. Oh, really? What I meant was when he said that you needn't have bothered, I think that was just his truth. Yeah. You know, he just didn't watch films. It was like, it wasn't, I don't think he meant it in, in a, um, I think it was just, I, I don't know how to say this gently, because um, there is a happy ending. There's a very happy ending, which I'd love to share with you. Oh, I love but I, I think he just showed that he was incapable of, um, there was just a, there was, um, I don't know, how do I put this? Is it, is, would it be, would it be there was a missing sensitivity chip? Absolutely. Yes. To quote Jennifer Aniston, <laughs> there was the sensitive. Yeah. I'd like to use that terminology that you're missing yeah. sensitivity chip. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 100%. And, um, 
And he did, um, actually, I did meet him a second time. Um, and I met my half-sister, his, his oldest daughter came, and she asked me why I wanted to meet her father, and I said what I said, and I said, you know, I didn't grow up with a father, and it, it was left, left a hole in my heart. And she said that I lost my father the day that I met you too. And that just, I, that's when I was like, oh my God, you know, the people, these children that have been impacted by my father, my father's behavior and my mother's behavior. And I just thought, you know what, they've been through enough. And so I, I, like I said, I, I didn't have contact with them again, but fast forward, um, I have, regain contact with with that half sister that I met and she is I'm going to cry if I say she is truly one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met and has been so kind and so gracious and so loving um to me and my family given how her life was disrupted by by the um by my parents affair so so that's a happy ending as I'm crying sharing you, or do you consider her family or is it just a 100 percent yeah I, I feel like yeah when I met her it was almost like immediate it was like no you're my sister you're, you're as much a sister to me as my as my other sisters there's always kind of a kind of a silver lining in this kind of stuff I think you know I truly believe that, you know, I say this a lot, sorry to my people that listen all the time, but I, like life is a series of lessons. This is just what I believe. And there's really hard things we have to go through in life. I'm very spiritual. Um, and it, you, you wonder a lot of times, like, why, why is this happening? Why do I have to go through this? But there is so much like out of pain comes so much like beauty or evolving as a human being. I say this a lot to my guests. I'm very drawn to the people I have on this podcast, many of which are my good friends now, because I think when your story is intertwined with like pain or hardships in life, that makes you a richer human being. I'm not saying that people that haven't gone through things in their life, they will, by the way, because that's part of life. But there's just a difference between I found people that are have evolved as humans because of trauma or whatever it is and people that haven't. And I do believe that there are, and I've learned this in the past couple of years, you know, when hard things continue to happen to me, that there is so much beauty that comes out of difficult and hard things. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, again, I mean, my, the name of my course is a spiritual solution to um, overcoming codependency, narcissistic abuse. For me, um, I've, I've, there's not one single thing I've been through in life that I regret or, or do over ever, you know, everything has led me to where I am today. Everything has led me to the most, you know, I have the most incredible, beautiful relationship I've been in for the last 13 years. I have two absolutely gorgeous male um uh, adult male children <laughs> that i would never change for the world um and i love my clients and i love being able to help them and that is the sum of everything i've been through and and um and again even at the end with my mother my mother passed away 4 years ago 
you know, I really, I, I, you were mentioning your own mother's trauma. My mother had extreme trauma too. She had, she grew up, it was, it was, she went through World War II, uh, you know, where people thought they were going to die. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, we were, it was just this, she grew up in a different time. Again, a, totally my grandparents were incapable of giving her the love that she really needed mm-hmm. and she sought it and you know at that time as I say it was you know post just post World War II people grabbed what they wanted when they wanted it even if it was somebody else's husband I don't think it was intentional it was just like life is short there is this love here and I'm going for it um, so again as I say I can look back and go well gosh you know some of those Choices were maybe not the best for children, but I see where she's coming from. And she did so much good in the world and so much good in my life, too, that I um, it was through my spiritual understanding that I was able to come through the other end and really enjoy the last few years of her life with her and appreciate her for who she was. And like you said, know that she wasn't going to change mm-hmm. and, and being an acceptance of that. So, well, I think I think with. That's so beautifully said. But I think too, um, I got to a point with my own mom because we were close. Like I just, I, I was, I idolized my mom my whole life, and I'm now at a point where I know that you know she's very healthy. She does like Pilates five days a week, but you realize how fast life goes. You know, just like a decade goes mm-hmm. by in a blink of an eye. And to me, you know, it's very difficult to know, like, my years are limited or my moments or my conversations. That makes me mm-hmm. sorry. So, no. I'm sorry. I cry, literally. I wish I could not cry every podcast, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> but oh, I, it's a beautiful quality. Everything you're saying. I want to find out more yeah. about kind of like once you evolve to that point of becoming spiritual and like getting out of your 18 year marriage and like, kind of like where you are now, like how did that all kind of happen? Well, I, like I mentioned, I mean, I actually started on a spiritual path the second I got to LA. Yeah, I was, I, again, as I say, I, you know, I was constantly trying to seek answers to why I was, um, getting into these, you know, running away from the nice guys and being attracted into this toxic relationships. And yeah. um, I did, um, so I'd actually, I have actually been, I'm 63 now. I've been on a spiritual path for 42 years. Um, same with therapy. I was actually in therapy for um, close to 30 years on and off. I really needed to make sense of my life and the choices I was making. And um, in, I think, 2006 was when I I went to um, in Los Angeles. We have a place called the University of Santa Monica, where they they offered a um, a master's program in spiritual psychology. So I took that course. It was a two year course, and it just so happened. And I was also studying with Debbie Ford. I to um, um, she's a, a shadow coach. The um, light side of the dark chasers. She did a lot of work with Deepak Chopra, and. Um, so I was very, very heavily into that in the in around 2006. And that's when I really found out that my marriage was not what I thought it was. And I knew it was difficult. I knew it was challenging. I just didn't quite have the full picture. And once I did and once I could see that divorce was inevitable, 
I um, I studied to become a, a coach, um, a spiritual psychology coach, and um, and so that was like the real turning point for me. And it was amazing. It helped me so much. I mean, it helped me process everything I was going through. Helped me be um, a more state and and the therapy again helped me be the best mother I could be. And you know, like we all do, we make mistakes, and I think all we can ever do is just own it and say I'm sorry I'm really really sorry and um we don't have to defend ourselves our children are our little vulnerable beings that we are responsible for um but as I said fortunately my children are amazing and um, healthy thank goodness um so that's really where it started and I as I said it was um Therapy combined with the spirituality that really, really changed my life. So when I coach, I come from that modality. I I coach from the perspective of um, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But as human beings, we do have psychology. So I teach um, the spiritual aspect and the psychological aspect to really gain a deeper understanding of, of, you know, what we're doing. And like you, I totally agree. We're here to grow and expand and learn. And sometimes through our human lens, we only have a very narrow view of what's going on. And I always trust that there's a great big spiritual picture that we don't even see and everything is in divine order. And, um, you know, to just trust. What does spirituality look like to you? Like I know, like for me, it's God. It's, it's, uh, I don't even really know what God looks like, but I know that I believe in God. I pray every day. Spirituality looks different for everybody. I was curious as to what spirituality looks like for you. For me, I often, I mean, because I have some clients that say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll check in with them. Like again, exactly. What is your, do you, do you have, um, um, any sort of feelings around spiritual? I really have to have a, a client that's open to a bigger picture rather than mm-hmm. just the human experience. Yeah. So but some people will say to me, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I'll say, well, do you believe there's an intelligence behind life, that there's something taking care of the world while you're asleep at night? Something's making your heart continue to beat and your lungs go in and out. Or if you're pregnant, you know, you're not sitting there going, hang on a minute, baby, or fetus, um, one month, you should be developing this now. Oh, it's month two now, you should be here. It's happening whether we are involved or not. And you look at nature constantly, the way the birds migrate, they somehow know where to go. They somehow know to sort of, when they're worn out, come into the center and let the stronger birds come to the edge and fly in that uniform V. I mean, something is in control that's not us. So I definitely believe that, um, like I said, my mother was actually an atheist, even though I did go to a convent. My mum sent us to a private school. She wanted us to have a private education, but she didn't believe in God. So uh-huh. spirituality came later in my life, um, like I said, in my 20s. So for me, I just think um, I believe in reincarnation. Sometimes in this world, we look at things and we think things aren't fair. But I trust that, you know, through multiple lifetimes that it does actually all even out and we all get a shot at a great life. And some of us are more challenged. And the whole point of being of being incarnated into this world of form or the human world is to learn and expand and grow spiritually. Do you believe in karma? 
Yeah, I, I, I do, but not in a sort of in a, in a punishing way, like, okay. oh, you know, it, it, not, but I do believe it just makes sense to me that, um, like I said, I do believe in multiple lifetimes that, you know, because otherwise the world would be so unfair if I thought that starving children, children in India, that was it. That was the only shot they were ever going to get to live in this world of form or the physical world. And I believe that we come back multiple times in different capacities, different um, circumstances. And so karma in the sense of, you know, you reap what you sow. Yes, over the big big scale of things, not necessarily in this lifetime. You know, that's why sometimes it looks like people get away with murder. <laughs> but I trust that in other lifetimes that that karmic debt will be paid and um, and it all all works out beautifully in the end. My mother used to say I was very Pollyanna and I was just to say, you know, if Pollyanna has me experience a better life, I'd rather be that way than cynical. So I think that too. I'm always like confused though about what I think. Like I do, I don't know if I believe in reincarnation, but there's just so many weird coincidences to me. Like if you've ever like, I lost my best friend in her in her late twenties, like we were both in our late twenties, really tragically. And it's like those moments in life where you might see somebody like walking down the street and you're like, Oh my gosh, that's her. And like, like, you know, like you see somebody that looks just like them and you're like, that can't be her. Like, what is going on? There's just like, or if you have a dream and you're like, well, that didn't really happen, but that really did happen. So I I think I'm Mm -hmm. at a point in my own spirituality where I'm like, well, where do I really like, where am I with this? And I think it's a gift to be able to question where you are in your spirituality. And also I, I consider it a tremendous gift to even have spirituality, you know, and something so much bigger than us and the, you know, the crap that you have to go through in life there's a reason for it, although we'll never really understand it, maybe until the next life. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, somebody that suffered from that extreme low self-esteem, not feeling good enough, when I really, really understood that as spiritual beings, we are all created equal. Nobody, nobody is better than and less than another human being ever. Mm -hmm. We show up in the physical world of form, slightly different. We're all, you know, short, tall, fat, thin, blue eyed, brown eyed, all different forms. You know, earth suits look a little different. And sometimes, you know, some of us have a high higher an emotional IQ and sometimes somebody has a, a, a more you know higher intellect I mean book smarts versus emotional smarts I mean I think we all have our strengths and weaknesses but I 100% know that I am equal to everybody else on the planet and that was not something I believed growing up so that has that's one of the gifts I get from my my spiritual understanding and also just um again you know, as often if we have been abused, we can get very sort of attached to justice. You know, justice has to be served to the people that abused us. And I have a much more, you know, I'm right here right now. I don't want to give up the life that I have worrying about something that's happened in the past. I hand it over to the universe knowing that it's all been taken care of. And I also don't know what trauma that person may have gone through to have, have them act out the way they did. But all I know is I'm not going to give up my peace of mind today 
trying to figure that out. I'm like, I'm amazed by that because I find for me, I'm in this weird period where I'm so angry. I'm so, I cannot get past things. Like sometimes I feel like I'm a hypocrite because I'm sitting here doing a podcast every week, you know, telling these stories and maybe giving my opinions and talking to beautiful people like you. Yet I'm still in this battle with my own inner demons that I can't seem to shake, which I guess is me, just me being able to admit that is a step, you know, that I'm working through, but it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm impressed that you're able to be in that place. And I know that it takes work, you know, to, to be there. Yeah. Well, it it takes work, but it's also not constant. I mean, I always say we have our personal minds, you know, and in our personal minds, that's where we have a lot of thinking, you know, a lot of fear about the future or regret about the past. Or we, we, I call it the comparison mind. We're like looking here, looking there, Mm -hmm. gauging ourselves, comparing, judging. And that's all happening in our personal minds. But I do believe 100% we have this deep, deep, I'm going to show you my, my, um, Little my snow globe that I use when well, I teach. Everyone, go to YouTube and subscribe. And there's no But it has a little Buddha in the center, and I do believe yeah. that's my spiritual essence. That's my, you know, that's my grounding. That's who I am at my core. But you know, as human beings, as I said, you know, I think they say it's anywhere from sixty thousand to a hundred thousand thoughts um, go through a human being's mind a day. And this is what it looks like when you are, see that all fuzzy? That's me. Fuzzy. Yeah. But that's what most of us are like. And and what happens is we get into that thinking and we try and make sense of it and sort it out. And sometimes we just, if we just let it move through us, it's just energy moving through us, you know, it's very sort of Buddhist. Um, we will naturally settle back down into the into that beautiful spiritual essence that we are. But Everybody, it doesn't matter if you're sitting meditating in the Himalayas, you know, mm-hmm. you're still going to get caught up in your thinking. It's just how soon do you wake up and go, oh, oh, I'm up here again. Yeah. And then you just settle back down. And we do that all day long, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. So I never, when I wake up to, oh, I'm in my thinking, I'm upset today, or I'm angry, or I'm judgmental, I just go, oh, I just got caught up. It's no big deal. And I just settle back down again. So it's just going, knowing where we are, knowing when we're caught up. It's a, it's a practice that you have to yes. work on. Yeah. yeah. Just waking up, you wake up when you're ready to wake up and then you fall asleep when you fall asleep again. But that's just the human experience. My mind is always racing though. Like yesterday when I was driving my rental car that I don't know how to drive, um, <laughs> I, I found myself, I was listening to something the night before and I, and I found myself and it was something about, you can't live in the past and you can't live in the future. You have to live in the now, which everybody knows. Mm-hmm. But I, for some reason, caught myself in the car thinking about that. And I was like, I really need to do that. I always live in the future and I always mm-hmm. live in the past. I mm-hmm. never live in the moment. It's one of the, my biggest flaws. Yeah. I'm constantly like, where am I going next? And then my brain will go, well, I can't believe that happened. I'm so mad about that happening. And then I'll be like, well, what am I going to do here? It's like never being like, this is a great, amazing moment. And I found 
recently that, and I've talked about this openly on the podcast, that I I lean way too much on wine and alcohol, like at, at night. Like I, mm-hmm. it became like a habit for me where I would be like, oh, I need to have a couple glasses of wine at night. And then I thought, I was like, you know what? I need to take a break. I don't know how long this mm-hmm. break is going to be, but the more I read about it and like the, the things that alcohol does to you, and I'm just saying me, some people may yeah. not. For me, I don't think it's good because I'm really on this journey of trying to find, figure out like how to get past my stuff. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You obviously, I don't know if you drink, but you, I, you're beautiful. So. Well, I, I do. Thank you. No, I do. And But there have been periods throughout my life, but when I was going through my divorce, um, that I didn't drink. I, yeah. I needed all my wits about me. I yeah. I was very. It was a. It was not a a healthy relationship. Uh-huh. So towards the end of it, I was like, I got to have all my wits about me. Yeah. And um. And so, but but I I drink now. But again, it's you know what you're describing is that's the human condition. That's ninety nine percent of the people on the planet reach for something else outside of them. To, to soothe themselves when they do have a very, very busy mind. It's natural to say, oh, I want that glass of wine at the end of the day or I want whatever. Or um, So but what I teach is a way to understand that, that it's actually we live in an inside-out world, not an outside-in world, and everything we're feeling is actually created from within. And so we don't, you know, because, I mean, just think about it for a second. When you did drink your wine, I guarantee that when you gave yourself permission to have that glass of wine, you already started to feel uh, more relaxed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that shows you that it's actually not the wine. It's it's what's happening within us. It's actually, uh, you know, we already relax when we say, oh, God, I'm going to get that thing that makes me feel better. Yeah. And but we start to feel better before we even ingest the wine, which is so funny. It is true. That's so fascinating. But it's also for me, it was just like a daily habit. And then I was like, I don't want to be doing this. Like I really, and it was also hiding stuff that I knew I needed to work on. Yeah. If my mind's not clear, how am I going to get past the stuff that I really, truly need to work on? And again, I'm not saying I'm walking away from my buttery Chardonnay for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm on a like period. I'm on a timeout. Um, yeah. You are such an amazing lady and so beautiful oh, physically and on the inside. I can tell I would love to meet you one day. I, I wanted, I want my audience to know where they can find you. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you very much. And I feel the same. I'd love to meet you. We're really, we're really down the road from each other. Um, you can find me um, um, either on my website, which is delladjones.com. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. I had a podcast for many years. Uh, so there's lots of episodes that I do on my YouTube tan- channel, same name um, or uh, I won't complicate the issue. <laughs> There's a couple of other names too, but if you put my name in it, you'll find me. And um, yeah, I um, I offer individual coaching. I do group coaching. I do a, a program that I designed called A Spiritual Solution to Codependency and Narcissistic Abuse. 
And um, I've had incredible results. I, I firmly believe that, as I said, the marriage of psychology and spirituality is where the real freedom comes from. And I love to share what I know and what my spiritual practice is and how it helped me in my life. And so, yeah. Well, I have a friend that I'm 100% going to, I'm going to connect you because I feel like I'm supposed to connect you, the two of you together. Um, It is Mm -hmm. just absolutely so wonderful meeting you and sitting here and hopefully my audience learned so much from you. I know I did today. Um, In closing, it is the end of September. It is Suicide Prevention Month. Um... I am honoring and I've continued to honor throughout this whole month of episodes, all that have been lost to suicide. I'm so very grateful that I'm still here. Um, sorry, <laughs> that I'm still here. It's been, it's been a long road and there's lots of ups and downs in life. And I'm sorry if I'm emotional about this, but I heard a story today and it made me very sad about this, but I'm doing good. I'm still here. And if you are struggling, there's always somebody to talk to. We both openly just shared that we both struggled. It's okay to struggle. It's what you you need to know is that you matter. I say this all the time. Your piece of the puzzle is needed in this world and you have to keep going. So I, I honor all of those families that have lost a family member to suicide. Um, And I just, if you're listening to this and you're struggling, reach out. There is hope. You can always reach out to me. The best way to find me is on my Instagram, judging Megan. And you have to keep going because we need you in this world if you're listening. And in closing, be happy by making other people happy.